Well, I had the privilege of growing up in a home where both my mom and dad uh, trusted in Jesus Christ, and, and they lived for him. They followed hard after him. So I got to see up close and personal what it looked like when people really followed Christ. There were certainly challenges in our home. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I watched them uh, follow hard after Christ. We had, uh, we had uh, devotions uh, just about every night. I remember growing up as a family, my dad would gather us around and we'd read from Scripture and we'd pray uh, together. And we attended a, a small church there in our little town uh, every Sunday morning, uh, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. We had vacation Bible school, not for one week, but for two weeks. I tried to talk Nancy uh, into that early on, and then Carlin, and they, they don't buy it. They say one week is plenty, uh, but uh, we had it for two weeks. Our, our little church was a great place to use your gifts. You know, when you're in a small church, like it's all hands on deck, right? So, so uh, in junior high, we took turns teaching the lessons, and that was a blast for me. I got to get some great training back then. When I was in college... Uh, uh, our, our pastor let me uh, teach some on Wednesday nights and then even let me preach on a Sunday morning and a, and a Sunday night. I remember before I went out, he, he prayed with me and gave me, just as a, as a, a, as a memorandum of what we were doing, a, a silver dollar. And uh, that was the gift that he wanted me to remember that by. At our church, we had, we had a caring church. We cared for each other and uh, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, my dad was diagnosed with, with cancer uh, in, in March of, of one year and died in August. So in that six months, it was a tough time for our family. And that was before a lot of the pain uh, medications and stuff. And, and so my dad was in a lot of pain. So our pastor would come over in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, we'd be gathered around my dad and, and praying for him. When my mom got sick years later, same thing, great care. Now, with this great care and, and, and community, we had some, we had some uh, challenging doctrines, um, some things that, uh, that I don't hold to anymore. And one particularly had to deal with uh, the certainty of salvation. We, we believed, <clears throat> I was taught, that a person could, uh, could be a Christian at one moment, one day, and then sin, and then not be a Christian the next day. That person could lose their salvation. And there was another church across town, and, and, and not proud of it, but we mockingly, mockingly called them that once saved, always saved church. Those people believe in once saved, you're always saved. And we were a bit legalistic as well. We, we said uh, there were a lot of things you couldn't do. We couldn't go to movies because you could lose your salvation. Jesus would not come back. If you were in a movie, rapture did not take place. You would not leave the movie theater. <clears throat> Movies, um, <clears throat> tobacco of any sort, alcohol, and dancing. Those were the big four. Movies, smoking, alcohol, and dancing. Uh, murder was not good either, but that did not make the big four. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, it was just not as bad uh, as, as the big four. And I admit we were a bit judgmental, and I remember driving, driving past that once saved, always saved church on you know, on Sundays, and they'd be leaving, and the guy would be lighting up a cigarette, and I'd say, man, look at that guy. He thinks you can be a Christian and smoke. Once saved, always saved. What is up with that? And we didn't like that church as well, because they always end earlier, and they filled up the diner before we, uh, we got there. <laughs> By the time we got to come back lunch, there was always a line of people in front of us who smelled like smoke and thought they were, they were Christians, right? <laughs> 
So let's talk about that today. Can a true believer, can a true believer be in God's family one day and because of sin not be in his family the next? Can a person be a Christian and commit adultery, be promiscuous, fall into homosexual temptation, or even gossip. It's all on the same list, right? And still be a Christian. What about the person who walks away from the faith for a time? Maybe because another Christian hurt them. There are a lot of people not here today because one of us hurt somebody, something we said or did. Or had a bad experience at church. Or, or maybe just went through a hard experience in life, a tough life experience, and said, you know what, I don't, I don't know if God loves me or, or cares for me. What about that person? Can, can, a, can a true believer lose his or her salvation? Can you be a Christian today and not a Christian tomorrow? Can you have complete assurance that if you closed your eyes in death right now, you would wake up and be in heaven? And, and if so, if you believe that, then how would you explain that to someone else? Where would you go in Scripture to say, here's how I know that to be true? What's the basis of your assurance? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to work our way uh, through Hebrews chapter 6. We'll start in verse 6. And I don't know how far we'll get. We'll probably get down to uh, around 12, and then we'll finish up this next week. I believe this is such an important doctrine. We have to understand this, and we have to nail it down. And it can't just be something, well, we believe this, but we got to know why we believe, right? we got to know why we believe these things, know what we believe, and know why we believe. Let me set the context. So this section started back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, where the writer pulled no punches in telling the readers that he, he was not satisfied with where they were spiritually. He, uh, he said, in fact, they were dull of hearing. Uh, that word means no push, no effort, no energy, uh, no urgency. Uh, paraphrase, slackers, you, you, you need to pick it up. In, in your Christian walk. In fact, he said, you should be eating meat, man. You should be chomping down on a big old spiritual steak, and you're still sucking a baby bottle. you got to get going. So the writer exhorted them to grow up, and he challenged them. He said, you got the foundational stuff down. Remember, we talked about this last time. you got the foundational stuff down. That's great. That's essential. You need a foundation to build a house, but it's time to build a house. Move on from the foundation. Start building the walls. Get the roof on. Do the things you need to do. Grow up as a believer. You're believers. You're genuine believers, he said. Remember, you, you were enlightened. Things that describe a Christian, we looked at last time in, in, in 6, 4 through 6. You've been enlightened. You, uh, you share in the Holy Spirit. You've experienced salvation. You, you've experienced, you've tasted the, the power of God, God's word, and, and God's power in your life. You're a Christian, but you're acting unfaithfully. In fact, 
In fact, there are, there are many instances when you act more like a non-Christian than a Christian. You act more like a non-believer than a, than a believer. And he likened them to the Old Testament Israelites. Remember, the Israelites freed from slavery of Egypt. Then they, they, they head off to the promised land. And then they're two years in their journey, and they send these spies into the promised land, 12 spies, and, and, and 10 come back and say, man, that land is, is great land, but there are giants in the land. There's no way we can take that land. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, we're going to take it. They, they listened to the majority of, uh, of, the, of the spies and said, we can't go. The nation of Israel did. And God said, fine, you want to stay in the desert? Stay in the desert. You can stay there. You can miss out the best I have for you. You're still going to go to heaven, but you just don't get to go to the promise. And Moses himself went to heaven, but didn't get to experience the promised land. They missed, they missed God's best for them on earth. They get to heaven, just missed God's best. Now, to drive home that point, the writer uses an analogy from agriculture. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Here's what he says. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. All right? So here's the land, the rain falls on it, the corn grows, the wheat grows, the barley grows, the crops grow, and people are blessed by the crops that grow. But if it bears thorns and thistles, not crops, but thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, not cursed, but near to be cursed, and its end is to be what? Burned. So if you're a farmer and you have this great land and it's producing corn and all that, man, that's what you use. You're, that's the blessing in your life. That's your livelihood. You share with other people. That's the blessing. But if your land just is full of, of thorns and thistle bushes and weeds and st stuff that doesn't grow crops, then you, you burn that off. You don't burn the land. You still keep the land, but you burn off the bad stuff in order to grow the good stuff. Now, what does he mean there? Let's think about what he's talking about. The best commentary on Scripture is what? Scripture. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this gives us an explanation of what the writer is talking about here with this agricultural analogy. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers. And he says in chapter 3, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation. There's that foundation analogy again, right, that the writer of the Hebrews uses. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is, is laid, which is who? Who's our foundation? It's Jesus. So your believers, he, Paul's now writing to the Corinthians, your believers, the foundation of your life is Jesus. You're in. You're it. But then he goes on to explain. Now the building takes place on that foundation, right? Jesus is the foundation. Now the building takes place. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, uh, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the, that's the judgment day, capital D, will disclose it 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, that's interesting. What's he saying? On the judgment day, we're going to show up before God, right? We're believers, trusted in Christ, going to heaven. We stand up before God. And he evaluates our work. We either have invested and built with, with, with things that, that, that remain, things that are refined by fire, like gold and silver and precious stones, things that can't be burned up, right? Or wood, hay, and straw. Man, that burns up just like that. So your believers, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, some of you are building with good stuff, some of you are building with stuff that's going to burn up. Okay, next verse. If the work that anyone has, has built on the foundation survives, he's going to receive a what? A reward. So they're in heaven and they're going to have a reward. Now, we won't have time to talk about those rewards. We don't even know what all those rewards will be. But you can read scripture and talk about the things that believers will be doing in heaven. Not floating on a cloud playing a harp. I promise you that. It's going to be some cool stuff that God has prepared for us, the rewards we have there. So if you built with stuff that counts for eternity, you get a reward, right? But you're still a believer. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be what? Saved. You're in heaven, but only as through fire. It's like you just barely made it. You show up smelling like smoke. Think about what the writer's saying there, Paul. What we do on this earth counts. Jesus did not save us just as a ticket to heaven. He saved us to do the things that he wants us to do on this earth. That we build with, with meaningful things like gold and silver and, uh, and precious stones. Not things that are going to burn up. And we get to heaven and we stand before God, right? And it's like a person whose house was burned down. Every, everything we collected, everything we invested in, every, everything we thought was so important here, nothing to show for it. So what's it going to be like when you stand, believers, what's it going to be like when you stand before God? Are you going to have the things that count? Are you investing in eternal things? Are you investing in things that you can take with you? Are you investing in things that, that have eternal significance? And that should be the burning question every morning when we wake up, shouldn't it? Today. Am I investing in things that count for eternity? Or am I investing in stuff like wood, hay, and straw that's going to burn up? And I'm going to stand before God. I, I spent my 24 hours today. And I'm going to stand before God. I ain't got nothing to show for it. We have to be those who understand that God wants the best for us. The things we do in this life counts. Yeah, getting to heaven is great, and it is great. It could be better than that. But he has us here for a, 
for a purpose, right? I mean, if he wanted us in heaven, he'd have us in heaven. All of us here today, he has a purpose for us on this earth. And are we making it count? Are we experiencing God's best for us? Or are we just investing in stuff? Many, so many Christians invest in stuff that don't have any eternal significance. Stand before God and say, yeah, here it is, I got empty hands. I sure had a great time down there. But nothing invested in eternity. So right here in the passage, the writer turns a corner. The warning has been strong. But now he moves to confirm the believer's relationship with God. And as one commentator says, the writer closes with as solid a passage on eternal security as we will find anywhere in the Bible. So today and the next time, our time today and the next time, we're gonna, we want to drill this home. We want to be able to say, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. I have assurance. Here's why I have, I know I have assurance. And here's why I have assurance. Look at verse 9. The writer says, though we speak this way. He said, man, I've been pretty tough on you guys, right? I've been pretty tough on you. I've, I called you slackers. I know you didn't appreciate that. I, I, I said you got to grow up. You're still sucking on a bottle when you should be drinking milk. I said you got to move past the foundational stuff and start building your house. Though, though we speak this way. I've been tough, the writer is saying. I, I, I grant it. Yet in your case, beloved. That's a word for, for Christians. In your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. You're going to grow. You're not going to stay there. We are certain that there are going to be better things in your life. We are positive that God is going to have his best show up in your life. We know that you're going to turn a corner, and you're not going to stay sucking a bottle, and you're going to build on the foundation, and you're going to have some great things to show when you get to heaven. We know that there are better things, things that belong to salvation, things that really count, things that have eternal significance. We know that. Now, here's the question. How would the writer know that? How would the writer, how could he be so sure as to say, I am certain for you. He's already, he already said they were slacking a little bit, and he already said they needed to grow up right? So what would he see in their life to tell them, I am certain that there are better things for you. I am certain that you're going to go to heaven and, and, and you're going to experience God's best here on earth. What, what would he see? How would he know they are Christians? So let's look at some things here that demonstrate true salvation, Okay. In the writer of the Hebrews. So we could go on a long list, but let's just keep it right here in Hebrews right now. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. He says, I know that there are these great things that are going to happen. I, I am certain of better things for you that relate to your salvation because God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. You're not there yet, but you're doing some good work. Now, let's just stop there a second because a lot of people get tripped up on this. A lot of people think that you do good works in order to what? Become a Christian, right? That is a works-based salvation. And so they would say, I got to do these good works, 
I got to be nice to people. I got to be kind. I got to be loving. I got to give some money away. I got to do all these good things. I got to keep my marriage together. I got to be a good parent. Got to be a good citizen. If I do enough good works, that's going to produce my salvation. A lot of people think that way. Maybe a lot of you here think that. Some of you here think that way. I, 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 I got I to clean my act up so God will accept me. Uh, Laura used to work with a guy, and he always explained uh, uh, spiritual life this way. He said, here's the deal. When I, get to, when I die, God's going to have this big scale, right? And my good works are going to go on one side, and my bad works are going to go on the other, and I'm just hoping my good works outweigh my bad. That's pretty, I think that's pretty risky, don't you? But that's what he believed. That's a, that's a works-based salvation. Now, Scripture tells us over and over that our salvation is not based on works. We could go to many passages. Let me go to a familiar one, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The writer says, for by grace. Grace in and of itself is defined as an undeserved, unearned gift from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. You didn't work your way to God. You didn't do works to show your significance to God. It is a gift of God, a free gift of God, no strings attached, not, the writer says it again, not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's not a works-based salvation. It is a salvation that is free, given to you by God himself. So back here, it's not this, it's not works that produce salvation, rather the opposite. It's what? Salvation that produces good works. That's what the writer is saying. God is not unjust to overlook your good works. Well, what is it, where does it talk about us doing good works in Scripture? Well, what comes right after Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 10. Every time. Every time. Okay? And, and here's where we see it. For we are God's workmanship. So for grace you're saved through faith. That now you're not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Check out that word sometimes. You are his masterpiece. He loves you. Man, he sent his son to die for you. You are his masterpiece. And you were created in Christ Jesus. God did that for what? For good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not that works works produce salvation. It's that salvation produces the good works. So the question is, are we walking in those good works? The proof of genuine salvation is salvation produces good works. Well, what are those good works? Well, there's a whole list of them. Um, Go through the commandments, right? Not doing some of the things we're not supposed to do. But things like good works are are things like being the employer, the employer that honors God and treats those who work for you in a God-honoring way treating them in a way that honors God. And they know that there's something different about you. Being an employee 
who works his or her tail off because you know that you're working unto the Lord. You never want to be a believer who on the workplace, someone says, eh, that's that person, eh, kind of lazy. And they're a believer. That's what believers are. No, you want to say, man, this is, th- you're paying me to do this. I'm working to God, not you. I want to be the best employee that can possibly. I want to, I want to be the best parent I can be. I want to make sure that I am teaching my kids about eternal stuff. I want to make sure that Christian education begins in the home, right? I don't, I don't delegate that to a school, even a Christian school. That begins in the home, and I'm going to demonstrate what it looks like to be a godly parent. I'm going to keep my marriage together. I'm going to do the things I need to do to keep my marriage together. I said for better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, I meant that. And I know there are going to be some tough stretches, but I'm going to do the things I need to do. Those are the some of, not all, but some of. I'm going to use my money in a way that honors God. I'm not going to blow it all here on stuff that's going to get burned up. I'm going to send it ahead. I'm going to invest in eternal things. Those are the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Some of them, there are many. But our salvation produces the good works that God created. That's what God created us to do. That's the best he has for us. And when we don't do those works, we can still get to heaven. We just miss his best for us. Turn over to James, one book over. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. James James hits this head on. He says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? What's James saying? What good is it if you say you're a Christian, but there's no evidence? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Salvation produces works. Here's the second one. Not only does salvation produce works, but, but love, the writer says, I see, that, I see that you do good things. You're doing the things God's created you to do. Not where you should be yet, but you're doing some things. The love that you have shown, that you've demonstrated for his name in serving the saints. Man, you serve other people. You care about other people. It's not just about you. You're not so inward focused that it's just about you and yours. You're serving other people. You're using the gifts you have, the time you have, the, 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 the abilities you have, the, the resources you have to serve other people. That's proof of genuine salvation. Salvation produced by works and love demonstrated by serving. The next one is, uh, the next verse, uh, 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of the hope until the end. Uh, there's a doctrine for that called the perseverance of the saints, that the saint uh, the, uh, the pres- uh, perseveres until the very end. That's the way you know you're a believer, right? You keep persevering. You keep on moving. You keep on moving forward. You keep on walking. You, you hit a hard time in life, and maybe you take a fall, but you get up and you keep going. There's perseverance there. Now, one writer uh, well says that it shouldn't be called perseverance because that sounds like too much me uh, persevering, but it should be called preserved by God. Preservation, not perseverance. I like that. And that's the third thing. 
preserved by God. You keep on keeping on. You keep on moving forward. You do the things that God's called you to do. Now, we've got to move pretty quickly here, but let me, let me look at th- three passages real quick. This is so important. Three passages. John chapter 6, uh, verse 10. Jesus said this, verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes uh, to me, I will what? I will never cast out. I'll never cast them out. That's assurance, isn't it? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's assurance, isn't it? For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have what? Eternal life. But there's an asterisk there, right? If you don't sin. Uh, If you keep on. No, there's no asterisk there. I was joking. It's eternal life, right? There's no asterisk there. I give them eternal life. That's assurance of salvation. And I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Flip over to John chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give give them eternal life. By the way, where where does salvation come from? Is it your decision, or is it God's decision? Looks like God's to me. I, I, God says, I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. They should never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We have, we have this security. We are in the hand of Jesus Christ, and he says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. My Father is greater than all, and, and he has you in his hand as well. Nothing can, it's like double security. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. What? Isn't that great that we know that? We can live with that freedom. There's another passage, Romans uh, chapter um, 8, right at the end. You can read uh, from actually verse 31, but let's just, let's just go to the end for time. Paul says, For I am certain that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And just in case, Paul says, just in case I missed anything, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's eternal security. The Westminster Confession was written many, many years ago, and it was used as a catechism for uh, churches for a long time. And here's how they describe eternal security. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, they're talking about Jesus there, effectually called, sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly uh, uh, persevere to the end and be eternally secure. The believer is eternally secure. Uh, J.I. Packer says it this way. I love the way he says this. Perseverance in faith and repentance, not just Christian formalism, and that's important, right? It's not about signing a card or becoming a member of a church or walking down an aisle, but true faith that always begins, as we talked last time with repentance, is the path to glory. To suppose that believing in perseverance leads to careless living or arrogant presumption is a total misconception. So yeah, yeah, you believe once saved, always saved, or eternal security, or assurance of whatever you want to call it. That just means I can go sin and do what I want to do. 
Packer says, absolutely not. That's a total misconception. Well, what about the person who says they're a believer, but they walk away from God? They sin, maybe fall into gross sin. Here's what Packer says. Sometimes the regenerate backslide and fall into gross sin. But in this, they act out of character and make themselves deeply miserable so that eventually they seek and find restoration to righteousness. In retrospect, their, their, their lapse seems to have been madness. When regenerate believers act in character, they manifest a humble, grateful desire to please the God who saved them and the knowledge that he is pledged to keep them forever, keep them safe forever, simply increases this desire. See, it's not, oh, we're eternally secure so we can go live any way we want. If that's your, if that's your thinking, and maybe you, you kind of missed out on what really salvation means. It's that God will keep us forever and we want to love him and we want to humbly show our gratitude toward him and we want his best here on this earth. And we want to be able to go to heaven and hear him say what? Not, man, you don't have much in your hands there, do you? It all got burned up as you were coming in. We want him to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. I got some good stuff for you. Salvation produced by works, love demonstrated by faith, preserved by God, or love demonstrated by serving, preserved by God. And the last one is faith. We'll just go over this quickly uh, here at the middle so that you may not be sluggish. We're going to preserve, persevere to the end so that you may not be sluggish. There's that word uh, translated slackers that we looked at earlier. But imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Uh, the writer's teasing us a little bit. He's given a little preview of Hebrews chapter 11, where the entire chapter is going to be the, the, the hall of faith, the heroes of faith, and what they did and how they trusted God. We're going to actually uh, spend uh, Wednesday nights this fall studying through Hebrews 11. And what does, what does this, this daily faith mean? What does faith really mean? Trusting in God and, and living for him. Two things real quick on, on faith. There's saving faith. Saving faith is a one time for all time. I trust in Jesus Christ alone as the one who died for my sin and, 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 and puts me in a relationship with the living God. That's saving faith. That's one time for all time. I don't have to keep doing that. There is also daily faith. And daily faith follows saving faith. The daily faith is, okay, I got some issues I got to trust God with today, right? And then I go to bed, and what happens the next day? I got issues I got to trust God with today. And I go to bed. It's daily. It's ongoing. So you got saving faith and daily faith. Again, we'll be talking about that on Wednesday nights if you're interested in that. All right. Next time, together, we're going to get into 13 through 20. And we're going to see the, the basis for security. The, the promises of God, that's the one, the promise of God, and the Son of God. That's the basis. That is our basis for security. And we're going to see that Jesus is our refuge. Uh, we're going to see that he is our anchor. Uh, we're going to see that he is our high priest. He's gone through the inner curtain for us. And we're going to see that he is our forerunner. He has blazed the trail for us. We're going to see that next week. But today I want to leave you with this. What I understood growing up was wrong. A believer, a true believer, cannot lose 
his or her salvation. A true believer is eternally secure. They may walk away for a time. When they're a child of God, he brings them back. The true believer can have assurance of their salvation. So my question is, do you? Do you know for certain, if you would die right now, if you would die right now, you would spend eternity with God? Are you, are you, are you building a life of things that is not going to be burned up by the fire? But you're going to be able to stand before God and say, him say, well done, well done. Let me leave with this, uh, let me end with this um, uh, illustration. So Lori and I have, uh, we have four kids, right? Brittany, Garrison, Laura, Mackenzie. We love our kids and we love technology because we like this family thread and we can be texting back and forth and everyone can join in on it, FaceTime. It's, it's awesome. Although I gotta tell you this story real quick. So, so Friday night with, with Mackenzie and a friend of hers, and uh, we were just talking about different stuff in the church. And I said, hey, you guys have been at the church. Both of you have grown up at the church. Let me ask you a question. What is the theme verse of the Bible Chapel? Theme verse of the Bible Chapel. I've had to say that. Uh, you've had to hear that a hundred times. What's the theme verse? They couldn't tell me. So I texted all the kids the next day, four of them. Hey, guys. Here's, Mackenzie couldn't do this last night. What's the theme verse of the Bible Chapel? Only one of four got it right. I felt like an absolute failure after that. John 17, 17, right? Okay, that's a side story. Back to the kids. Got these four kids, right? They are Lori, Lori's and mine, biologically. And nothing can ever change that. God forbid, one day we get a text and one of them says, done. I don't want to text you anymore. I don't want you to text me. I don't want to FaceTime anymore. I don't want you to call me. I don't want you to come and visit. I want, I want to just cut off communication. Would that be heartbreaking? Yeah. It would break our hearts. Would they still be our child. Yeah. You can't reverse that. What's happened, right? And neither can you reverse being born from above, being born again. You, if you're a Christian, you're a child of God and will forever be. Can you not talk to God? <laughs> can you not read his word? Can you get distant from him? Does that break his heart? Does he say, man, I got so many great things for you. You're missing my best. I got so many great things for you. Does it break his heart? Yeah. Are you still his child? Absolutely. Just like you can't reverse the biological process, neither can you reverse the spiritual experience that is from God, not from us. If I was in charge of salvation, I could, right? But it's from God. You are, if you're a believer, you are his child and will forever be.
We'll talk more about that next time. We'll talk about the basis of that.